Welcome to the VoxGig podcast. We talk to people in the developer community about developer relations, public speaking, and community events. For more details, visit voxgig.com slash podcast. All right, let's get started. Today, I am speaking to Emily Omir, who helps startups get their open source positioning right. It's a complex topic and something that is close to the heart of many people in developer relations. Because without the right positioning, without the right understanding of what your company is about, getting out there and speaking to your community in the right way with the right message is pretty much impossible. What Emily does, absolutely essential to the success of many companies, and especially those who base their business on open source. Alrighty, let's get stuck into an in-depth discussion. Emily, welcome. It is great to have you here today on the BoxGig podcast. You are an open source consultant. What is that? Well, uh, interestingly enough, when you put it like that, there's a couple different things it could mean. So I'll start with what I do, which is uh, I help open source startups, uh, sometimes larger open source companies, which I would define as any company that is very closely tied uh, to an open source project. I, their, their company wouldn't exist uh, without the open source project. Uh, I help them define their positioning, uh, connect their positioning to their revenue model, um, in, improve their revenue uh, streams or stream. Sometimes there's more than one. Sometimes there's there's several. And uh, basically make sure that they're connecting their open source project to their commercial goals. Uh, so that's what I do. There's um, But there's a lot of different kinds of open source consultants out there. I would say I'm a... a uh, positioning and revenue strategy a consultant for open source companies. Uh, can you explain this idea of positioning? Um, I, I, it was something that I didn't even have a concept of until a few years ago, and I read um, uh, this author April Dunford wrote a really good book on it. Um, yeah, she's, what does the, it she's mean? The, the guru. Yeah, um, oh, positioning. Totally. Yeah, it's it's about um, sort of controlling the assumptions that people are going to make about uh, whatever it is that you're selling. Um, and you can even think of positioning, like uh, when you think of this and it's sort of on, on commercial terms. So like where in the supermarket do you find an item? Like if you're looking for baking soda, uh, baking soda is a product that you can use for a lot of different things. You can use it uh, as a cleaning material. You know, you can use it to like scrub your sinks and stuff. Uh, you can use it as a deodorant, like people shove it in their fridge to make it smell get better. Um, and then you also use it as an ingredient, like to make cookies. So do you find baking soda in the cleaning aisle at the grocery store, or do you find it in the baking aisle at the grocery store? That's a positioning decision. Mm-hmm. Um, what assumption do you want people to be making about what they're supposed to use your your product for? And uh, obviously, like what's good or bad about it? Um, you're going to make a lot of different assumptions if you see baking soda, you know, a box sitting in the cleaning aisle or versus if you see it sitting in the baking aisle. Um, and when it comes to software, you know, it's the same. Any software that, that you have out there um, well, maybe not any software, but most software um, you could use in different ways. And often what companies find is that the way that people actually use it out in the wild uh, is not exactly how they intended it to be used. And sometimes 
there's a use for this software that's actually way better and way more differentiated than what was originally intended. You want to capture that. Um, and the goal with, with getting your positioning right is that you're you're getting people, you know, to immediately understand what's unique about your, your product or your project, if we're in a, talking about an open source context, um, how it's different from other options, why people should care, also who should care about it. Um, and we talk about having tight positioning. Uh, that means that you're you're really specific uh, about what this software is is useful for. And that's really important because a lot of startups, you know, they have this like very grandiose vision about how they're going to change yeah. the world and like, Every single developer on the world is going to use this software. And um, the reality, first of all, is like probably no software is going to be quite that ubiquitous. But also, you know, you're a startup, you have like $2 million in funding. And that seems like a lot of money until you actually start paying people's salaries and stuff. And then you're like, shit, um, (laughs) I better get some customers And the thing that's a little bit ironic is that when you say, you know, the mess, if the message that you send out to the world is I am appropriate for everyone, then that's kind of the same as saying like, I am awesome for no one. Mm -hmm. But instead, you know, if you send the message out that like, I am perfect, I'm the ideal solution for people who meet these very specific criteria. Maybe there were only 1,000 of those people in the world, but that 1,000 people for whom you meet exactly their specific needs, they are going to want to buy your product or use your open source project. But let's, if we're talking commercial sense, if you meet their needs so well, no, and nobody else is out there that's meeting their needs, and you are speaking directly to these people they will fork over money for your project or your product. It's such a powerful idea. I, 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 was, I was really taken with it, but it's so hard to put it into practice. Just knowing it is, is different from acting on it. I have a question around um, the, 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 the customer focus of a company. So would you recommend a different strategy if the company, let's say they're, they, they've bought into open source and they're they're using open source or their their system is open source in some way, but is there a difference between companies that focus on non-developer clients? Right, it's a service, but it's not particularly used by developers, and those that are focused on developers. And do you see much open source in the first category, or is it mostly confined to the developer-focused companies? Uh, that is a really interesting question. So uh, the companies that I work with that, that I'd call, you know, open source startups, they have an open source project that's sort of like, um, I don't know, I'd like to think of it as sort of like the foundation of their company is this open source project. Their exact relationship and why this open source project matters actually varies dramatically from company to company. But anyway, so think of it sort of like they have this foundation of an open source project And then they might have services that are on top of that open source project. Like that might be how they generate revenue. They might have an enterprise distribution of this open source project. They might have a cloud hosted, uh, they might have a cloud hosted SaaS of this open source project. Um, And that those are some sort of common revenue models. Um, There are open source startups 
that have a developer market. Usually people talk about those types of startups most, uh, mm-hmm. but there are also open source startups that have a non-developer market. Uh, they, they absolutely both exist. I fundamentally think that when we're talking positioning in terms of like, what do they need to be worried about? The important thing is that they're an open source startup, not whether or not they serve a developer market. Uh, and the reason that I say that is because there's always going to be, uh, you know, even among developers, there's always going to be some developers who are interested in contributing to the open source project and, and others who aren't. Um, also, you know, developers is a very broad um category, you're still going to want to narrow it down dramatically to like different type of types of developers. And the it's the op- the fact that they're open source that that adds the complexity because you will always want to have a, a positioning for the open source project and a positioning for the commercial offering that are different. You will always, even if the the market for both is developers, there will always be a difference between who the market for the commercial offering and who the market for the open source project different, different is. Different brands, almost, right? Yeah. So I don't personally recommend different brands. There are there are some companies that that do have like like a different brand name, an entirely different brand. I don't think you need a different brand. I actually I actually don't think it's a good idea. Um, but you just you have to be aware that the the target market is different. Um, the reason I don't recommend a different brand is because you like you still need an umbrella positioning for your company that sort of pulls everything together because you still need to tell a coherent story about what your what your company does. Your company is going to have a point of view um, that's that's going to be you know pulling everything together. Uh, ultimately, you know you're you're solving one problem, the same problem, and the open source project is one way. It's like one one path that you can take to get to that solution. The cloud hosted or the commercial offerings are just other other paths uh, ultimately to solve the same problem. How do you solve the, the challenge um, of, I guess, credibility, right? Because let's say the open source uh, project and the product is, uh, I don't know, something like... Um, a user interface framework, right? So I don't know, uh, things like Beautify uh, or uh, Material UI for React kind of come to mind, right? Where you have, um, it's open source, but then, you know, you can buy training or you can buy extended components or whatever. Um, But at least, you know, for me in a project, I'm still downloading the code. I still control everything versus a scenario where uh, the the framework might be open source, but then there's a hosted platform, a SaaS. And really, if you're buying into that open source framework, you kind of have to go with the commercial. The commercial hosted platform is kind of the, the main way that things run, right? Uh, and I'm thinking things like, I don't know, Next.js and Vercel, maybe something like that. Uh, Isn't there an inherent kind of tension there? How do you resolve that? Uh, I mean, there is an inherent tension in some way. I I think the point is, though, that some people are going to want to use the open source. They're going to want to use and be capable of using the the pure open source. Um, I mean, if if that's not possible, you're you're not an open source company. Mm. Uh, it, It needs to be possible 
to yeah. for somebody to, you know, actually solve their problem with the the pure open source, totally anonymously, without giving you any information about themselves, without interacting, you know, with a salesperson or whatever, uh, without paying you any money. Um, those conditions sort of have to be met. Otherwise, you're not an open source company. Um, but yep. yeah, at the same time, oh, go ahead. Sorry. What? Yeah. What do they call it? The source available, isn't it? Ah, uh, yes. Other... Source source available is is not the same as open source. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Source available is like bullshit open source. Yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. Um, so how. Uh... How do you help the the developer relations people in the companies that you work with? Um, yeah, so I, I consider sort of developer relations as almost like downstream of what I do. Mm. So the developer relations people need to know what they're supposed to say. The positioning. And that is what, I, what the positioning determines. Um, yeah. I mean, positioning is really everything from like determining what the identity of your company is. So the, the at, at its core, positioning is sort of like you know when when you say you know what is your what is Project X? How do you answer? You answer like Project X is a blah blah blah. Well, blah 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 is your your market category. Um, so in the baking soda example, like baking soda is um, a powder that you pour over your sink and use it to scrub off your your dirty sink um, versus baking soda is a leavening agent for your cookies. Um, mm. Two different positionings, right? And that's, you know, I, I think of it, it, it's a noun, right? That's it. And we'd say it's like, it's your market category. That's the sort of core of your positioning. There's all these other things that, that are sort of circling around your position that are also really critical. Um, that are also things that your developer relations people would, would need to be saying. Uh, there are things like, what is your company's point of view? Every company has a point of view in an open source context. Uh, oftentimes, that point of view can include some, some technical things. Uh, that This is another distinction, I think, of non-open source companies versus, versus open source companies. Um, you know, if you have a SaaS product and it's being sold to... HR departments of, um, you know, companies, enterprises, those HR professionals, they do not give a damn no. what technical decisions you made. If you have an open source company, regardless of who the target market is, people will care about your technical decisions and uh, they will pick it apart. And you need to like part of your point of view, part of your story needs to include actually like, you know, we think XYZ programming language was the appropriate choice for this particular product, for example. Uh, but there's other things that that can go into point of views or you know point of view about the market uh, about where where the marketplace is heading um about trade-offs that are or are not acceptable um about how humans actually behave um so you know you need to have your point of view uh you need to understand what pain points you solve uh you need to understand what the competitive alternatives are so not just competitive technology but uh you know for example if you have a a product and it's a compliance product. It, it allows you to, you know, comply with, you know, some laws. Um, the the competitive alternative to using that software is often paying a fine. 
So you have to be aware of that and, and talk about it. And if your pricing is such that it's like dramatically more expensive than paying the fine, you don't have a business. People just pay the fines. One of the, the challenges people have working in developer relations is often the company has not defined positioning and people are often thrown into the role and told, oh, go organize a meetup, you know, write some blog posts, whatever. Uh, get some, get X many eyeballs. Um, people find that very, people do find that very, uh, challenging. Do you, do you think, um, do you think that that's most companies? If I'm applying for a developer advocate role, should I be, should, should the question that I ask my interview viewer be, <clears throat> what is our positioning? And if they cannot answer that, should I be thinking twice? Oh, it depends. Do you want to help them to find their positioning? Right. Um, yeah. So <laughs> I was also going to say, yeah, if they haven't defined their positioning, you could you should tell their boss to hire me. Um, <laughs> I have a really good friend, Emily. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, you know, I, I do think it is a lot of companies. And, and another thing that can often happen is like, um, you know, the founder has like really clear idea in his or her head. Um but like it only exists in inside of their head. And that sounds familiar. That, yeah, exactly. So so this is yeah. a huge problem. Um and like if if that is the situation, you know, the the leadership needs to take some time and um define the positioning and, and write it down. So uh, you know, in my opinion, if you do not have a document that records your positioning, you do not have your positioning defined. Um you do not need to work with someone in order to get your position defined. Um, some people, you know, do find it very useful. Um, but what you do need to have is, is positioning that's written down. Um, you know, if there's somebody in a developer relations role who's listening to this and they're like, yeah, my companies, they, 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 they have no defined uh, positioning whatsoever. Uh, the sort of actionable thing that they can do is, um, it, it work with their leadership to, to get something written down. So on my website, I have a, a sample positioning template, a positioning canvas template that you can download. Uh -huh. um, and just, you know, download that template, um, work with your leadership. Now, I, I will say one caveat, like this has to be like CEO level. It's pretty core to, to company's identity. So you do have to get access to like the, the, the leadership of the company. Um, sure. yeah. But, you know, work with those people to, to fill out that positioning canvas and try and be as specific as possible. Uh, the, the other thing is, you know, we're talking about like, if, as if there is just one developer relations person, what happens in, in practice is that there's five developer relations people. And if those five people are going out and saying different things about your product, that's a problem. And then you have the CEO going on a podcast and telling it, you know, spreading a different message. Um, and you're just confusing people in the market. And, and that's really frustrating. Um, you know, it's, it's really frustrating and demoralizing for people inside the company. Uh, but it's also very confusing. And it's, it's like a form of sabotage um, that, you know, companies don't even really quite realize that they're doing to themselves. Yeah, it's it's it really is one of those almost I don't know secret weapons for a company to to get very very powerfully aligned on what the actual positioning is. Okay, so you mentioned you have a template, which is which is kind of a worksheet, which is really really cool. Yep. 
But what, when you go into a company, let's say they've realized, the CEOs realized that they're making a mess of it, <clears throat> or at least that they're not sharp enough. Um, mm -hmm. Just walk us through your process. Uh, how do you how do you sit down? How long does it take? What do you do? Yeah. So when I'm when we're working just on positioning versus when we're working on um, so I do just positioning and then I also do like a a, a deep dive on revenue that's um, connecting the the positioning to um, different revenue streams, uh, adjusting how we think about those revenue streams so that we can you know, hopefully make the, either make the company more profitable, or I should say, like, get it closer to profitability. Uh, but when we're working just on, on um, positioning, then we do an eight hour workshop that is spread over four days. Um, I have a, a sort of a series of prompts that, that we work through um, with the, the leadership team of, of a company. And the kind of things that we're, we're thinking about is, you know, it's almost like a brainstorm of what are competitive alternatives. What we'll start out with, like, what is what is the positioning now? What are the competitive alternatives? What are the pain points? So, thinking through all these things that sort of uh, exist are really important to define, but sort of exist on the periphery of the core positioning, which is that market category. And then at the very end of the process, we take take into consideration everything that, that we've defined and um, sort of try out a, a number of different market categories together um, to see which one is, is causing us to make the, the right assumptions. I would say it's, it's sort of like, you know, part science, part art. Um, but uh, yeah, at, at the end, we, we, we get to something that's you know, much more specific than, than what people came to me with. Um, much more differentiated, which is the, that's the, those are the two things that I look for, something that's very specific and something that's absolutely differentiated. No one else in the marketplace is doing it. Um, and then obviously this one should be obvious, but um, it's not always, it has to be accurate. So okay. that is a pitfall that I definitely see companies falling into when their uh, positioning is, is misleading. Um, sometimes it can happen by accident, um, you know, which is bad enough, but, but yeah, there, there are also times when it's, um, not by accident, which is yeah, bad. So this is when, I don't know, it's a little bit vaporware maybe or something like that, right? Well, sometimes it's not even that bad. It's just, you know, you, if you, you want to make sure that the, the thing that you are saying you're the best at, you are actually the best at. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. So the actionable kind of items out of your engagement are, well, yeah, okay. So the, the actual positioning statement, um, choosing the market category, uh, and then the other one, which I'm kind of interested in is, um, revenue, right? So <laughs> because people, there's a huge subject of debate, right? How do you make money as an open source company? Um, right. so how, yeah, just walk us through that piece, right? How do you, how, how does the positioning connect to the revenue? Yeah, that's a really good question. So, um, the, the first thing is, if you get your positioning right, you should almost certainly raise your prices. So one of the, uh -huh. the biggest mistakes that I see a lot of open source companies making is so open source is free, right? Um, and uh, there's there's this foundation in any open source company that you have this open source project that you're devoting a lot of resources to, which is free. And uh, a lot of open source companies somehow get it into their mind that being inexpensive is one of the things that's like really important. So 
but if your positioning is good, um, the fact that you're open, that there's this open source project out there that's free to use should be completely irrelevant to your pricing. Um, so that's that's the first step. And the second thing, right? You your commercial offering should be priced in a way that reflects that it's you know the best at whatever it is. It's the best at, and uh, you know oftentimes the open source companies are really hesitant to to do that, and you know possibly to be the most expensive of the the competitive alternatives. So if your positioning is good, you have a solid differentiated value proposition. No reason that your prices can't be the most expensive in the marketplace. So that's number one. Mm-hmm. Um, second thing is getting really, um, really confident in how your market is. Uh, um, uh, let me rephrase that. So getting really specific in your different target markets and what they need, what's important to them. And what that allows you to do is understand, you know, what features you should be putting in your open source project, uh, what features you should be putting in your commercial offerings, but then also what features you should not be dedicating a lot of resources to. So if you have like X, Y, and Z features in your commercial offering, you do this positioning exercise, you determine that the, the value provided by features X and Y is super important to your um to your customers and you know that 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 is it's very valuable but feature z meh like people don't really care about it um that means that you can deprioritize or perhaps even take out uh feature z Uh, that doesn't add to your revenue but it can dramatically decrease costs and and it can also mean that you're able to really focus on those those values that do matter to your target audience um, and by doubling down on that you you become that much more valuable which helps you get more customers helps you become more entrenched in the customers that you do have and that yes can definitely lead to increased revenue okay okay um yeah, there are a lot of there's a lot of moving parts. Um, I uh, yeah, I'd, I'd love I'd love to I'd love to be a fly on the wall and see it in action. Um, how on earth did you end up doing this? So that is a good question. Um, I never know how far back in the history of my life I should go back because I'm almost forty, um, which I still think of myself as young, but I guess I'm not really that young anymore. Um, so I did a lot of random stuff when I was in my twenties. Um, then I went to graduate school in journalism and, um, then I, I gradually discovered that that is a terrible way to make a living. Uh, I do not recommend it to anybody. Um, uh, I am however, very skilled at making do with not very much money as a result. So anyway, at a certain point, I decided that um, I sucked at making a living with journalism and I was going to do something else. And this is how I started. Uh, I started writing for tech companies, um, doing marketing content. And um, that was really fun. I was really good at it. Uh, but uh, I had actually the, the problem we were talking about with the, the, the DevRel people um, was that uh, often I would find the companies I worked with had no idea what they wanted to say. 
And this was very frustrating to me because I was supposed to be saying something for them and they couldn't give me any guidance about what it was. Um, Or they would say, you know, so I um, ended up working with a lot of companies in the the cloud native and and Kubernetes um, ecosystem. And uh, basically, you know, after I was like, you know, the third time someone asked me to write like a Kubernetes 101 piece, I was like, you know, forget it. This is ridiculous. (laughs) Um, I, you know, I, I, I've never wanted to write another Kubernetes 101. Um, but so I, I just sort of gradually start moving up the, the the food chain, shall I say, because, you know, it's like, well, uh, clearly you need you need more help than just somebody to, to pound out some marketing content. You need to figure out what you want to say first. And that led to, to working on messaging. Um and then positioning is sort of one level up from, from messaging. If you think of messaging as like primarily affecting the marketing department, but positioning, as I was just outlining, it's it's not just marketing, it's your project roadmap. It's your what your sales motion looks like. It's in, in, including, you know, are we doing a bottoms up strategy? Are we doing a top down strategy? How, what's our outbound look like, et cetera. So it's like, completely impacts your sales strategy, completely impacts your marketing. Um, and, you know, also your, your, all these like business fundamentals, like your revenue strategy, et cetera. Um, and so that's, that's sort of how I got to doing where I am now. Um, I came into working with open source startups actually th- through the Kubernetes ecosystem. So first I had been doing marketing for Kubernetes companies and there's a lot of, open source in the cloud native ecosystem. And then I started uh, working um, on messaging and positioning. And I realized that as I started working on, on positioning, the the key difference in what the process looked like and what the complexities looked like wasn't that they were in the open or it wasn't that they were cloud native companies. It was whether or not they were open source. And so that's what I started to focus on. Now I work with any open source company, including those that, um, like I mentioned, are like have products and projects that are not actually for a developer audience at all. Um, but I think that the complexities of positioning and the complexities of building a, a revenue model are unique to open source rather than being unique to, say, you know, a product for Kubernetes engineers. Emily, it, it- fascinating life journey into this into this stuff um we're almost out of time i have one final question um and maybe you have some insight into this given that you you're probably talking to a lot of companies why now why is why is it becoming such a thing so many software companies are choosing this open source open source path now Ooh, this is a good question. Uh, why are they? You know, there's there's some people out there who say like, uh, you know, open source is is, is eating the world. Um, but I'm I'm going to say that there's two reasons why companies choose to to be open source companies. So reason number one um, is a bad reason, and that's because they see everyone else doing it, and they think everyone else is doing this, and so I should do this too. Uh, reason number two is a good reason, uh, which is that they they see concrete um, business rationale for being an open source company. 
Um, so obviously, like I said, I do not think, you know, just everyone else is doing it. So I should too, is a good, is a good reason. Um, that's, that's definitely out there. I've definitely seen that. Um, but let's talk about that second one. So, um, just, so as a generalization, there's a couple of like business values that, that being open source can, can bring to your company. And it really depends, like every open source company does not get these same values. Uh, okay. So one of them is around transparency. I think this is un- not talked about enough. There are some markets where transparency is super important. And if you are able to say, look, I know, for example, that privacy is really important to you, Mr. or Mrs. Customer. Um, I know that you don't want to just trust us. You want to be able to verify. Here's our here's our source code. You can verify for yourself that you know we we meet your privacy requirements. We're not, and, and if we're talking about privacy, like uh, you know, if somebody puts, if you have like black box code, you can't actually know for sure. Like maybe there's a call home yeah. function in it or something. You, you don't know for sure, but if you can inspect that code yourself, you can say, okay, I'm I'm really confident that that this is not doing anything that it's not supposed to. So that is incredibly important for a lot of markets. I think that that's actually not talked about enough in the in the open source business world um, because it's almost like uh, the open source, you know, in that scenario, open source isn't a growth engine. It's, it's just something that helps you reassure your customers, um, but can still, that can be really powerful. You know, that's like just having that transparency means like deals close a lot faster. You've like eliminated a really common and, and really strong objection to people buying your software. Um, so transparency is, is one, again, generalizable for a lot of open source companies. Um, another thing is that open source could be their go-to-market motion. Um, you have to tread a little bit lightly with this because um, treating your open source community like a bunch of leads is is a bad idea. Um, but certainly, like especially if your play is, you know, we want to become the the number one like most used default for of X tech technology. Um, the way that you do that is by being open source and getting like every developer. Who, who has to do whatever it is that you do to use your, your software, to use your project. Now, you do actually have to make sure in that case that you have a business model. Like some, there are examples of companies that have been successful in having their, their um, technology used like absolutely worldwide and have still struggled to, to build a commercial um a commercial model to build revenue. Um, but that's certainly another reason. Like they see the open source as um, a growth engine for, um, for for building the company. Um, I would say even if you don't intend for your, your project to be, uh, you know, to the, the absolute market leader in uh, whatever it is that you do, there's a lot of companies that see open source as, as a, as sort of an, an awareness play, um, part of their, of a bottoms up, uh, go to market strategy. Um, so I, I think those are really two of, two of them. A lot of, a lot of, there's a lot of, a lot of stuff to think about from this one. Thank you so much. This has been, um, really, yeah, very, very interesting. Um, 
it, 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 it affects us personally because we do a bit of, bit of open source, but I can certainly see parallels to uh, other situations I've been in, customers we work with. Um, lots to think about. Thank you so much. Super, cool. super Thank you. Thank you for having me on the podcast. Wonderful. Okay. Take care. Yes, you too. You can find the transcript of this podcast and any links mentioned on our podcast page at voxgeek.com slash podcast. Subscribe for weekly editions where we talk to the people who make the developer community work. For even more, read our newsletter. You can subscribe at voxgeek.com slash newsletter or follow our Twitter at voxgeek. Thanks for listening. Catch you next time.